to the outdoor drive podcast we are in virginia did we make it all the way to virginia made it all the way to virginia who who the fuck is that nobody <laughs> that's my line <laughs> you're, you're cheating. i'm just andrew <laughs> just, just andrew. wow somebody tunes in <laughs> you have one uh-oh just me nice that's because i like steve is that what it is? It's pretty much all. He, he's doing it for his mom. <laughs> oh. That makes She's going to love that you just said that. Hi. Love you. Miss you. <laughs> so, I guess introductions are in order. I guess so. I'm, I'll let you kick it off. Oh, oh, you want me to do it? I mean, that that is your thing. Oh, man. I hate doing this part. All right. This is your boy, East Coast Trev. And? <laughs> this is Steve. Just Steve. No, no, Steve. Oh, oh. And? This is Andrew. Oh, I thought he was going to go with the Just Andrew again. I thought this so, This is too. Just Apparently Andrew. Not. I was hoping that he was going to go with Just Andrew. I sort of, he screwed me up when he screwed you up. Yeah. I have a way of doing that. These, I screw things up. It's been known to happen. Inclined. <laughs> These things happen. So what's up, boys, man? We made it to turkey camp here in, I wanted to say vagina. I don't know why that just came out of my mouth. Virginia. Virginia. Well, so we made it to Virginia at Turkey Camp. (laughs) Sorry, things have gotten a little crazy and things have just started. It is actually day one of Turkey Camp. Day one. Day one. Technically for you guys it was. Yeah, this is right. Mm. I'm gonna go I'm gonna go straight into the craziness because and then we'll we'll take we'll take Andrew's version of this. Actually, no. Actually, let's step it back one second. Why don't everyone tell? Why don't you tell everyone who Andrew is, where you're from, <laughs> all right, and uh, how you got how did in you this? End cl- up here. That's what I want. I want to get this cluster. Fuck. Okay. So craziness. My name is Andrew Andrew Harmon. Um, I'm from. I'm not from. I live in Northeast Oklahoma. <laughs> um, I work for a oil industry company to pay for my hunting pretty much um but i ended up here uh steve and i go way back um but not actually as far as you go further back with my wife than you do with me yeah uh not in a weird way guys not in a weird weird way way. no i was gonna say you're gonna let that go there bro no (laughs) (laughs) they knew each other before i knew her yeah Yeah, kim and i have known each other since we were 13 probably i think uh Way back when, uh, from some trips I did out to Arizona where her and her family were at, and our families have been closed for forever, and then uh, about the time uh, Steve got out of the Army, I was moving to Arizona to work with the same organization that Steve's wife was working for, and uh, 
thankfully, I think her parents thought that we both needed friends and uh, <laughs> that's about we were going through too. big life changes, both of us, and they took us all out to dinner and we we had an interesting dinner. Um, I felt very out of my depths at that dinner because I was a little bit different version of Steve than... Well, yeah, it was nice and polite. I've, the in-laws were around. Well, and... it wasn't that. It was like I was sitting at dinner with like what I perceived as this prototypical cowboy. <laughs> and I was just like, I, I don't fit in here. But somehow we got talking about bows and you invited me over after dinner. And so I ran to the house and got the bow and I pulled into your driveway and Steve is on the roof of his porch as I'm pulling in the driveway, shooting through the tree in the front yard at a target over the creek. I was like, okay, I'm home. Like this will work. (laughs) And it's been either uphill or downhill from there, depending on who you're talking about. It's all a matter of perspective. It's perspective. The the downhill parts were usually pretty high. (laughs) Like it's very good. (laughs) It's been rather uphill for sure. And uh, we haven't seen each other in what two years? Yeah, two years. Two and a half years at at the the last unfortunate get together. Yeah. Um, So we are. Finally, we've, well, we, we did a lot of running around together back in Arizona and, uh, kind of introduced me to the West a little bit and to mule deer and elk. I ruined um, him. (laughs) Certainly ruined me for sure. Um, and then you moved out East and kind of entered into my world growing up as a Midwesterner being a whitetail guy now. So it was a little bit of a <laughs> flip flop of sorts. <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, not, like I said, we used to, dad and I used to come out here and hunt with Steve right when they first moved here. And it's been, we were doing the math, what, five years almost since yeah, I've been, been able to do that. So up here. it was time to, it was long overdue time to, spend some time together so i'm back in virginia and got some turkey hunting to do which is new to me i'm sure we'll get to that and uh especially the virginia style yeah i'm excited i'm very happy to be here it's been like i said a long time coming and and today started off with a bang well well, without, not the way you think. No, not not, not necessarily. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't know. I wasn't there. I I was at work. So, the boys got to go out and do some turkey hunting. What I thought was pristine property. It is pristine property. Don't get me wrong. Oh yeah, it's just not. The it's a different kind of pristine. I expected. <laughs> not what was in my mind. It was. It was. So we got to meet up with Peter from Peter Dalton from uh, Hunt Country Wildlife and. You know, finally to be able to shake his hand, like we've done a podcast with him and so on and so forth. So me me and Andrew got to take the ride up there and go and meet up with him. And he is everything that I always talk about being from fucking Virginia. Like the native, <laughs> like craziness, like, you know, like last time we always talk about, you know, you can't, you can hunt pretty much anywhere you want as long as it's not a hundred yards from a church on a Sunday. And that is the truth to that because <laughs> when we pulled up and met uh, Peter... We're like, oh, okay, this is good. Me and Andrew getting in the truck. And in the first, like, 10, 15 minutes, bro, I'm like, 
what in the world did I just <laughs> sign myself up for, bro? Like, we get in the thing, he gets on this dirt road, he's doing Mach 10. There's this crazy anti-fox hunter that's on this that's coming down the road, and he's flipping her off and trying to drive her <laughs> off the road. And I'm like, oh, my God, what in the world is going on here? Like, this is awesome. Like, this is life, right? Like, this is crazy. And Andrew's probably like, yo, this crazy hillbilly got me in with this other crazy hillbilly. And this shit, dude, what? this is like Hills Have Eyes type shit. When he started yelling, I reached up and grabbed the old shit handle for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and... uh so we end up showing up at one of his properties, which we, you know, we were very, very happy that he was allowed us to hunt with him today. And uh, so we park on the side of the road and we start walking up this um, this paved driveway road type thing. I guess there's like houses off to the off to the east, and there's a couple of them on the side. And then look down in the valley, and it's this thicker wood type thing. And we come up, and there's actually like this big mansion. It's like cobblestone driveway and stuff. And I'm like, what in the world? Like, we're going to hunt here? And he's like, yeah. Cause he was talking about a field. And there's, like, this little field in the front lawn. I'm like. Field is generous. That was a front yard. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. This is true. And he shot a ton of birds in this area. And for, like, for me, myself, and Andrew coming from the Midwest, like, you don't, like, that's not norm. Like, it's, like, I mean, we have to be 500 feet from a dwelling. Um, but down here, you only have to be 100 yards, but you have unless you have permission and he has permission so we're like hunting in this guy's front lawn like it's just crazy for me man we go from the front lawn to the back lawn and we're calling and it was just it was something else it was like everything i've ever envisioned (laughs) the the trees we were leaning against were like where he stopped mowing like ornamental trees it was it was decorative (laughs) it was too yeah it was like a park does did the camo recommended for this area have like swing set patterns it might as it well have. have. <laughs> Those little, you know, rock holds on the kids' playground. Yeah, That's yeah. what it should have looked like. There you go. There was a we, big one of There was the one. We could have just leaned up against it. <laughs> but it was just so cool. I mean, it's just it's just a different... And there's nothing wrong with it, man. It's no, just, it's it was just, just different. Legitimate just different. urban hunting. Yeah, and he and he, he straight warned me about it. When, when when we were talking yesterday, he straight told me, like, we're going urban turkey hunting. I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, urban turkey hunting. How fucking urban could it really be, right? <laughs> yeah, it... It gave me an appreciation for the guys from like Seek One or, you know, some of these guys that do the urban stuff in Pennsylvania and stuff like that. Yeah. But when you're, these guys talk about, oh, like, you know, I could see people in their basement through the window. Like you can, the house literally had a three-sided mm-hmm. basement and it was all windows. Like we had an audience. In fact, I think I said that at one point. I was mm-hmm. like, I feel like we're standing here with an audience. We're <laughs> 60 yards from these people's basement door it was wild but there there was a hen in the bottom of mm-hmm. that one draw back there so and, there's and, certainly turkeys back there and peter talks about you know he shoots turkeys at all the time and one time he was talking about speaking of the audience was he was on the front porch at one point and he's reaping a turkey across the guy's front lawn and he ends up missing it in front of the guy and the guy's just drinking a coffee watching him do it and it's like <laughs> this is badass that's man. wild like, this is this that's is cool wild. stuff yeah and, and i was like you know, at first kind of like sitting down and my thoughts are like, dude, what in the world are we doing here? Like, is there actually animals here? Like, this is crazy. And then later on in the hunt, when we started walking through the woods and we get into the woods, some of the trails that had gone through this area, I was like, dude, they've walked a, a herd of cattle over a hundred every single day for the past 365 days. Like the amount of traffic that runs through this draw on this dried up Creek bed is insane. insane. 
I told you guys yesterday when you where you guys are going, if there was one place in Virginia I could hunt, it's that area. It's just a pristine place that they don't like people to hunt. So the numbers are through the roof and the quality, there are some absolute slobs in there. Yeah. That's what he was saying too, remember? Yeah. And the the thing that I found interesting as I was thinking about it was the history of Turkey in this area. Mm-hmm. I mean, Thomas Jefferson was from Virginia and he's thought that our national bird should be the Turkey. And so the fact that that was coming from this place where we're sitting, even though there's a house in our back door, like <laughs> it was, it was just a fascinating thing to think about. Cause you've got a character to this place in the homes and the buildings around and the places we're driving by and you've got, you know, new tacked onto old and you've got these old plantation type houses that are sitting on top of the hill. And it's like, man, at one point that was the only house here for, you know, miles, mm-hmm. you know, and driving through the battlefield the other day. It's just, it's a, you, it, the, the hist the history in this area is palpable and big for, word for, I don't understand none of this shit, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> it was just a fascinating feeling to be like, this is largely where our national started. interest mm-hmm. in this bird started. So oh, absolutely. That's kind of an interesting aspect for this whole week that I didn't really expect. It's it's definitely an incredible area. Like going through like the rolling mountains and the hills, like obviously like it's different from where I'm from. It's different from where it's Andrew's from and it's even from different from. from where you're from, Steven. Mm-hmm. So it's like to go through it and see all the stuff. I mean, we stopped at a stoplight on the ride home, and I'm like, bro, I'm going to pull up Zillow. I want to see what that house is worth. It's for sale. One and a half million dollars on a 10-acre spot. It's 3,500 square feet, and you're like, oh, yeah. Holy Lord. No wonder. And it was not a nice house for the area. No. It was just a standard house. It was just a standard house. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. Big money up where you guys were. I mean, a house like that near me, like I was telling him, that's four hundred thousand, mm-hmm. three hundred thousand. I mean, yeah. it's I mean, it's not even like out of this world, like crazy big. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not. But you guys were hunting one of the richest counties in the U.S. It is the richest county in yeah. the U.S. That's what Peter was saying. It, that's it's, nuts. Yeah, you you were in some big old timey money. It's nuts. And the people, but the thing, and I was explaining to Andrew also, not even about the money, but you drive by somebody and we tested it, but the guy wasn't paying attention, but like everybody <laughs> waves to you when you go through, like, so it's, I hey, remember even that the cops wave at you here. Yeah. Well, we know about that too. That's just crazy. <laughs> like a very polite. Yeah. Very it's polite. nuts. Everybody is like, we, we're until sitting, you tell them you're going to hunt. Right. Well, that's the other thing. When I saw the anti hunter thing today, when Peter with this, with this Fox lady, I couldn't believe it. It totally blew my mind. I was, he was like, he was telling me all kinds of stories about it and stuff. And it's just nuts. I couldn't believe it. You know, what's interesting about that is we ran into Wally world on our way home Mm -hmm. and you know, you were in camo, I was in camo and I actually felt different than if I were to walk into Walmart at home dressed like Mm -hmm. that. Not that there was anything bad that happened or whatever, but it felt different. Like I felt like we were getting looks that were unusual from where I come from. Okay. Because Northeast Oklahoma camo is, you know, just part of the wardrobe. It's a national it's, denim there. It's <laughs> denim, yeah. And so, but we were the only ones in the store, mm-hmm. and so that it was, 
an interesting thing that like was enough that I noticed it. So, oh yeah, and it's funny because then you jump the county line and you end up back here in Front Royal, which was voted the yeah, one most thing twice about it redneck town in Virginia. Really? Yeah, we are that. That was our label. Is two years ago we were voted as the most redneck town in Virginia. And here, camo is a staple clothing. That's nuts. You see, I'm I'm with. I'm I'm with the feeling that we had today in Walmart. So like, where I come from, if you wear camo, like they like sh- you're like shunned upon, and people would be like, "Oh my god, shame! Are you going shame?" Hunting? They people are like you yeah. you you hunt? No, I like dressing up as a fucking tree. <laughs> I mean, the national tree hugger. What do you mean? Yes, I'm going hunting. People are just crazy. I don't I don't know. It's crazy though, and you wouldn't think it in the South that you would have something like that. In my opinion, well, we don't really consider. Northern Virginia, Virginia. We, oh. we kind of exclude them as just an outskirts of D.C. They're not true Virginia. That makes more sense. That so makes that, That's sense. why when you hear people talk about Virginia, you hear they'll reference that is either Northern Virginia or Southern Virginia or Virginia. Because up there from that county you were in up, we don't count them as Virginia. No? No. No, they're an outskirts of D.C. Shit. Wrong, wrong place. Well, yeah, you had enough of that <laughs> flip all over the place. That... Oops, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> some will get that, some won't. I, I would say he's drinking, but it's it's a truly, so we can't claim that. It's truly amazing. It's because I wear Crocs. because oh, I wear Crocs. Oh, we're on the Crocs conversation <laughs> again. Back to the stupid Crocs. Back to the Crocs conversation. Oh, my. What's wrong with Crocs, Andrew? Yeah, tell me what What, what is the, the moral dilemma of Crocs, in your opinion? I hunt in Crocs. I'm I'm sorry for you. I'm sorry for your wife. I'm sorry for your future grandchildren. I don't like I'm not I feel like those fish deserve better. <laughs> Somebody's gonna what? make a meme of me now, but what crispies? <laughs> That's a shoe. What you have is like I can't wear crispies into the river. Sure you could. They're waterproof. If if you ain't crocking, we ain't rocking, bro. Oh god. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> if we ain't mucking, you we ain't fucking. <laughs> <laughs> no, if we I ain't don't, booting, we ain't scooting. I, I don't have a deep philosophical have argument to crocs? give you. Have you ever war wore crocs? No, and I won't. Why not? You're missing out. I'm I'm yeah. I, I may be. And there's some things in life it's okay to miss out on. I'm okay with that. As long as it's not a Texas heart shot. <laughs> Inside joke, I won't explain. I will not go any further on that. Black Rifle Coffee. <laughs> Matt Best. You can find it yourself. Look it up. It's great. <laughs> Jesus. I love camp. I love the fact of being in camp. You know, like, it's just that feeling. The boys are here. It's weird having a microphone inside in my face, like... Yeah, we're no video guys. We're this is straight old school audio. All three the of us are sitting in front of each campfire. other. I mean, this is true. Well, I guess I probably shouldn't light a fire in probably here. Probably not, <laughs> but <laughs> that wouldn't go over well. Yeah, get a, get a candle. It's but ever <laughs> since like COVID, right? So it's like it's nice to be able to be in camp, like with yeah. other guys. I mean, we were doing that anyways, but we we know. <laughs> Don't judge me, and if you do, well, you're the problem. 
<laughs> just Peter, saying. Peter said it best, dude. He was like, I'm going to go into the post office and I'm not, I'm going to see if I can get away with going in without a mask. And he's like, I got C- CFS. And I'm like, CFS? He goes, common fucking sense. And I was like, <laughs> all right then. I was dying. I, that was actually very, very funny to me. It was great. Yeah. It was, no, it's great to just be around people and well the last time talk the th- about stuff that doesn't matter and stuff that does and just yeah it's refreshing and i mean i haven't had this since the last time i saw you two and which that was, that was in at the iowa show over last a year, year at iowa yeah, yeah. and great time. uh it was, yeah it was great um but it's it's like uh Losing ten pounds. I mean, I overnight. Know about just that. to <laughs> relax. I mean, it's. I've never lost ten pounds. Yes, you have. <laughs> not overnight. No, not overnight. No. If so, something's wrong. I'm just <laughs> but yeah, dude, you you were well over overdue. Overdue you, for sure. You needed this break. It comes at a perfect time in the mm-hmm. world for you. Yeah. And uh, I'm just glad that we all get to catch up and hang out and shoot the shit and get stupid like the good old days and yeah uh, plenty enough time that like we might get tired of each other like i got a long trip here although we spent a lot yeah. of time together back in today a, a, a week is nothing <laughs> i mean turkey camp last year was 12 days mm-hmm. something like that it had turned out to be a lot longer that started as three and we just kept extending <laughs> so. and i gotta say i know trev hates it when i say this because every time i do he <laughs> argues with me do it but I love the fact that you can only hunt turkeys until noon here <laughs> because, listen, most of my vacations are a grind because I'm usually hunting. Right. And so whether I'm in Arizona or I'm in Missouri or Southern Kansas or wherever, I'm going nonstop, you know, and it's, I'm essentially working, but it's, I'm on a work schedule, mm-hmm. but I'm there's no relaxing right and so to be able to come up here and get after it in the morning for you know five or six hours and then to relax and hang out and chill like i'm stoked that we're not hunting all day as much as i am gonna enjoy this i'm looking forward to the time to just have this hangout time and the relaxing and not having the pressure of yeah it's you know, not go, just go 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 sleep go 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 sleep yeah it's a weird thing though like I, I like the fact, I, I do like the fact of being able to hunt till noon, but one of the things is, I'm so used to when you're in camp, man, you're not actually in camp. You're only there to eat, sleep, and shit. That's it. Like You, you, don't, you don't do anything Wait, else in you, camp. You hold it till you get back to camp. <laughs> <laughs> I, you missed that bear shits in the I woods guess, conversation. I guess, I guess so. <laughs> but, like, it, it is nice to come back and relax, but you're not used to that. So, like, when we normally go, like, Ohio... Oh, sun yeah. up to sundown, you hunt every single day. So yep. I'm so used to that. When you're in that mode, yep. like back home, I can hunt till dark. And it's and it's not even I, I do like the fact like this afternoon we came back, we hung out, we ate, we relaxed, oh, told Pete stories. Pete kept asking, like, you guys got time? You guys got time? And it and it was like it was like uh, uh yeah, I guess we do. Like <laughs> what else we what do? else we gonna do? <laughs> Let's right. hang out. We like, can't hunt. Yeah, and that's no. the thing is it, you come back and anyone that goes after turkeys nonstop day after day even if it's only a half day hunt by about day three mm-hmm. you get back and all you want to do is sleep you just something about turkey season and you finish at noon and you get home you sit down you're done 
It's nap time. It it just has a weird way of wearing on you. Mm-hmm. Oh, I can't wait. Like Monday, I'm going to have the best nap. Oh, dude, tomorrow you're going to have a good nap. Oh, day napping during turkey season I'm is the greatest thing in the I world. can't wait. Yeah. Because where we're going tomorrow, it, it's not we're going in and we're just hiking into the field to where we know they strut. We're we're walking in and hiking around a mountain mm-hmm. to the other side of it. I mean, we will get... When a me big and, hill. When me and, <laughs> yes. In your terms, yes. It's so, not even a hill. It's a bump compared to what you do. <laughs> so when I took Kim there, we did six miles that's to get, a, to get her day. turkey. It w- that was the total time we spent walking. It, it worked like out to work. six miles. So I love it. We got to get there early. I'm a flatlander. I love hills. I can't wait. Oh, yeah. But you go out west and hunt a ton. Yeah, I try to get out. You're, you're like once a year. You're like half and half. You know, you, you're a yeah. little bit of both. Yeah, I mean, I my heart is definitely out west. And, you know, obviously circumstances and whatnot. I, mm-hmm. I'm a Midwest guy through and through. I mean, I've lived in seven Midwestern states and hunted in five of them. So I'm really used to being able to see for miles. Miles. Uh, but my, I think more like a Western guy, mm-hmm. you know, it's, there's just something about being out there and every chance I get. What, what kind of attracts there. you to the fact of the whole Midwest, I mean the whole Western hunting over Midwestern hunting? Other than jump shooting rattlesnakes. Other than jump shooting rattlesnakes. Um, <laughs> that's a story. Uh, that's a I don't know if I can answer that quickly. It's, it's a there's a vastness to, to it that makes me feel small that I like. It's a it's a reset feeling. Um, part of it is the physical nature, the physical aspect of the hunt, because I mean I can do a 14 hour all day sit with the best of them, but if I had my druthers, I'd rather do the 14 miler than the 14 hour sit. It's they're two different skill sets. Um, they're both challenging for sure. I mean, I don't think anybody would argue that, but there's the Midwest, um, is very uniform. We kind of talked a little bit about this today. If central Kansas, to western ohio is pretty much all the same i mean you have your minor fluctuations and you know obviously more timber here more ag here and that kind of thing but the the weather is very similar the topography is you know largely very fairly similar you're looking at a lot of the same stuff in different places and the uniqueness of the western states i mean you talk about everything from montana to arizona you're talking about vastly different ecosystems i mean arizona is wildly different than southern colorado and they they're just right there next to each other and colorado kind of melds it from a high desert area into you know the 
stunning northern Colorado that's just out of this world and it just gets crazier the farther north you go and I haven't got to experience this yet but all you have to do is jump over Idaho and now you're into this weird rainforest thing in Oregon and Washington I mean it's uh there's something about the variety and obviously the animals and all that but I think for me it's the place as much as it is the animal right and specifically the desert for me is Mm -hmm. something special and uh i've got a long history with it so that's part of it i think but um there's something interesting in hunting or just existing in a place that's actively trying to kill you because (laughs) the desert is kind of that way that's why i don't go to these places (laughs) you can never touch a cactus or be bitten by a snake or be attacked by a mountain lion in the desert and the desert will still kill you if you don't have water because it's literally sucking you dry. And so it's just a wild place that's not normal. And I think that's largely the, you know, you're not going to have the, you know, 13, 14,000 foot peaks from Colorado which is a whole different kind of struggle in Arizona. But Arizona will kick your butt. And the payoff for that is you've got this incredibly well-managed population of deer and elk, and you're, the chances of running into something special from a just a, from the animal side of things is, is high. So, there, I mean, there's a cost to it, right? You're... you're in a sense, if you don't know what you're doing in the desert, you're putting yourself in danger getting out of the car. But the the wildlife out there, do you know what a Quatamundi is? No idea. Yo, yeah. Quatamundi. This is an incredible there animal. There is a monkey. That's, it's, it's essentially Legitimate. a mix between a raccoon and a monkey. Yeah. Like it's, an... A- like, what are those other things? What those? It's a desert You're of a raccoon chup- chupacabra. Monkey. No, no, not chupacabra. <laughs> no, the, uh, uh, lemur, the, like a lemur. Ish. Kind of similar. It's okay. Yeah, can but, you hunt these things? Yes, you can. Mm-hmm. What do they taste like? Pork. I haven't got one yet. That, I'm that, taking that's that from secondhand. Yes. But I have seen pictures of them skinned, and they have a very dark, rich purple. Uh, that's the same with cats. Flesh on it. Mm-hmm. Cats taste yeah, like pork. Very similar. Yeah. Um, but they're supposed to be fantastic. I mean, the, but is that like an over-the-counter tag, or is it? It's a small game. Yeah. If I remember right, it's a small. So you don't game. even need a tag. Yeah. For yeah. You, you have your get license. One, one a year, I think. And it's this beautiful, gorgeous animal that nobody's ever heard of, and the numbers in Arizona have exploded in the last five years. They have traveled like 400 miles up the state in the last five to 10 years. Yeah. Cause it, and we're starting it used to, see to be them. rare. We would see them on occasion up in the mountain. Yeah. But now more so you're starting to really see them coming over the rim. Well, I, um, let's see here. I saw, I think I saw two. Did you say over the rim? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's the rim? Is that, the the rim is, it, rim. it's kind of the divider between the desert and the mountain. Okay. It's where the high desert drops off into the valley in central Arizona. All right then. So above the rim, you're you're working your way into snowy weather and mountains and alpine type terrain. You drop off the rim and you're into like really heavy, 
like hardcore desert. My mind's in a whole nother place when you're describing this. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but Kawana Monday. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I had to. And I know that a lot of listeners are probably thinking the same. So I just figured I'd go there. Sorry. Well, at least I know I painted a pretty picture. Yeah, you yeah. did. You did. <laughs> so Quantamundi, by the way. Yeah, Quantamundi. Yeah, so, but that's the thing. There's these significant rewards that come with mm-hmm. dealing with a place like that. And it's not uncommon to accidentally stumble into a 180-inch mule deer. Mm-hmm. And it's, I mean. Got video proof of that over Christmas. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, it's. Uh, is it something special? Arizona is really good at what they do. I mean, they manage four big animals, and you know. So, do you think that that's how a lot of people feel about Africa? Meaning what? Like the same way that you're saying, like the dangers that are going into it, the management side of it, and all these things that you've just described about the West. Do you think that people are on the same token or the same page when they talk about Africa in the same way? Uh, you know, Africa is an odd thing because I think as average everyday hunters, Africa seems like a far-fetched thing. To this do. far-fetched thing in the way that, you know, 30 years ago, guys thought about elk hunting. You know what I mean? It was like, you have to have money to do that. That's a thing that's outside of my reach. Mm-hmm. I think that's starting to change with Africa a little bit. I think it's getting a little bit more manageable than it used to be if you stay away from the big five. But I think when people think about Africa, they see it as a, it's less, I don't think the details come in so much as in like, if you think about going to Arizona, you're automatically going to think about mountain lions and spiders and scorpions and rattlesnakes and all the things that are terrible. You know what I mean? I don't necessarily think that's the first thing. And I, you know, I could be completely wrong, but that's not the first thing I think most people think of when they think of Africa. Maybe me. Even though I think about that (laughs) fucking black mambas, green mambas and all the other stuff. I think about those things. I think fox bats. When people start talking about hunting Africa or that starts kicking around, I think it's more of a, it's an ideal. It's a thing that like, man, if I get to a place, I'm going to go do that. And the the consequences of it or the potential consequences of it don't really get thought of, you know. Now, that may be different for the guy that can afford to go twice a year. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, but I think, at least for me, the little things like that the snakes and the bugs and smiters like wouldn't cross my mind until deep in the process of preparing and i don't know that it would stop me either no i but i think it's part of it you know like like for me like going out west it's one of those things that i think about i always think about the 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 scorpions and all the bad things that could potentially happen to you out there but they're not really even a thing even come to virginia what do i think about the goddamn What about snakes? them snakes? Where are the snakes? Are we going to see snakes? <laughs> are there snakes there? Well, let me let me comfort you a little bit. I've spent a large chunk of my life out there. I've run into very few scorpions. 
very few dangerous spiders. Um, I've never, I've only feared for my life in Arizona twice. And only one of them was animal related. We won't get into the other one. But <laughs> I had a cat scream at me when I was in Arizona when I was about 12. That was a pants wedding experience for sure. Um, I think I told you the other day, there's three of us. We had three 12 gauges, a 45, a 44 mag, and a 357 between the three of us. And I felt outgunned by that thing. That was, that was a frightening experience, but it's also one of my favorite experiences. But I've never felt in any way like I didn't even, even when I stepped on that state, which is Steven's favorite story. <laughs> Why don't you like, share it with everybody then? <laughs> that was just the coolest jump. I've never seen anybody go from a dead standstill to a six-foot vertical jumping backwards, draw down, and shoot before you land and get a dead-end shot on a timber rattler. That was interesting. Walked up on a snake, never saw the snake, it didn't rattle at me until he was dying. And, uh, yeah, I spooked and jumped back and... Somewhere in the middle of that, I pointed the gun and shot. Pointed the gun and shot, and Stephen come running over. What the hell are you doing, Snake? (laughs) It was a fun one. Never did find a horn though. Never found. We ran that entire day. Never. I think we ran into rabbits that day. Mm -hmm. That's what you guys were doing with shed hunting. Yeah, we were shed hunting. We were down in a little pocket where we know there there are some hundred eighty, two hundred inch muleys running. Jesus, we'd watched them for years. Always got close, but it never worked out. So we went out in the spring, and I was just seeing if we could find any bone off them. And we ended up coming home with a, a six-speed rattler instead. Is that a tough thing to do out in the West? Like, is shed hunting? It it definitely takes a lot more time, miles, scouting, glassing, and a big portion of luck. I mean, you can literally pee on one and not know it's there. Really? <laughs> it's just... Did it's, you do that? Because <laughs> I see the smile. Everyone's missing this. We, Kim is over here like... She, she's throwing <laughs> me the bird. Oh, jeez. Oh, did you pee on this thing? Oh. Oh. All right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. She's like, shut the fuck up. We're walking. And she goes, I got to go to the bathroom. I was like, okay, go ahead. Take a break. We're only like a quarter mile from the peak of the mountain. And she goes over to do her thing and... You know, I'm kind of looking around, and I look down, and I go, don't move, and she freezes. You know, she's thinking, like, snake or something like that. Something and I go, really bad. Don't move. I don't want you to pee on this. <laughs> <laughs> she was literally pissed off. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah. And we ended up, uh, that was her first experience shed hunting with me, and it was just a hike. We weren't even there to shed hunt, and I came down with, like, Five or six mule deer horns, two elk horns, a lot of break-offs. I mean, this basin we found, I just started doing crisscrosses on this probably five-acre field in the crater in a big bowl on top of a mountain. And just literally just started picking up bone. Every couple of steps, picking something up. That's nuts. And, yeah. But there are days that you'll go and you'll walk 20 miles and not find a thing. Wow. That's crazy. What do you think that, like... Obviously, being a Western hunter to being an Eastern hunter now, like, what do you think that some of the challenges were 
because I we never even talk about this stuff, so it's kind of cool to kind of dive into. Going going from hunting out west to coming out here to the east coast, my number one issue that I couldn't get my head around was wait, there's there's no public. I can't just walk out on the public and just just hunt anywhere. There's property. I have to get permission. What the hell is this? You know, because out there, you leave the house and you literally, I walk out my gate and I'm in national forest. Yeah. And I've got hundreds of thousands of acres. I can just go. I mean, there was no, I need to knock on doors. It was like, this is my, this is the management unit. I got a tag for this unit. I'm going to hunt in this unit. As long as you're not in the middle of town. You're fine. You're good. Yeah. And and that was, to me, that was normal. And I got out here and I'm going, wait, I, I can hunt on my 20 acres here, but I got to get permission for the guy next to me. And if I see something, I got to get permission from them. I was like, yeah, that that to me was the biggest struggle. And then figuring out you don't need every whitetail gimmick that comes out on the outdoor channel to kill a deer. So I was like, oh, well, they said that, that'll make you better. I, I should get that. Oh, look at this cool little thing. Yeah, I could see how that would help. And you get that. And for long, you've got 10 boxes of shit that don't work. And you realize, oh, if I would have just set 10 minutes longer. Because you never really whitetail hunted yeah. in the West to come out here. So you kind of like... Yeah, there was no... You, out you there, gotta it was... think, all of those little things, like, for instance, the scent control sprays. Mm-hmm. That's a non-existent... Like, they sell them in the stores, but nobody buys that stuff no. out there. Right. Because if you're going to go out... You're playing you're the You're going to sweat within 10 minutes of leaving the truck. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter where you're going... It doesn't matter what's going on because it's not an easy walk. No matter where, it, if the ground is flat, it's not an easy walk because you've got rocks and boulders and cactuses and like cactuses that jump at you and like weird. What? Yeah, jumping yeah. cactuses. There's a, I can't remember what it's called right now, but there's a cactus that has these little like. Choyas. Yes. And Choya cactus. They look like abs. What Mark uses in his calls. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. The Choya cactus, they'll actually jump at you. Yeah, if you walk by them and you're within, you know, a couple inches, it will like, it's like gravity. It'll like jump at you and stick on your, and you'll like have not realized that you yeah, were even close to one and you'll look down and you'll have 30 of these little things sticking into your leg. Are you serious? Yeah, dead I'm serious. serious. They, not even a joke. It's not like it's going to fly across the room at you. <laughs> I'm talking like <laughs> if you walk by that mic stand right next to you, like. Three four inches away, mm-hmm. it'll yeah, it's it'll a defense magazine. Yeah. yeah, it'll grab hold. It's of like you. a it'll Vietnamese break off fly trap. It'll break off a little piece of itself and, and throw it you. at you. That doesn't even sound like a good fucking time. It's great. It, it's wonderful. And it, it really is. It's a good time. I'm not. I'm not intrigued. <laughs> not intrigued. You will be. It's give just it, crazy. Give it's it just, time. It's just crazy though. Like, I I don't know. The Western hunting got like, because you guys have both grew up doing that. And then to come out here and obviously like now you getting into the turkey hunting thing and kind of seeing what it is and then being in the Midwest and then you being here and doing it, like, I don't know. It just, it must be like crazy in your mind. Like it's something that like, did you guys ever like in a, in a younger stage where like, I'll never go out East. Or oh, I, never... I swore my entire life that I would never live on the East coast anywhere. This side of the Mississippi swore my whole life. I'd never do it. And what was the reason for that? Just in my mind growing up out in the middle of the woods, when you see anything on the East Coast, what's portrayed? New York City, City. Washington, D.C., mm-hmm. Richmond, Charleston, 
big cities. Right. So you hear New York and you go to New York City. That's all you see. You think mm-hmm. the entire state is a city. And that was it. That in my mind, I want it's, nothing to do with it. It's peanuts compared to the state. I mean, upstate should be its own country. Oh, yeah. Well, see, and I, I learned that after we mm-hmm. moved here. You know, and that's actually how we ended up here. I came out here and did our thing, and I ended up starting a new job. But when I came in for the interview, I landed in D.C., did the interview in the tech center of the country, and flew home. And I told Kim, I was like, "There's, I can't live in that. So we got on the map, started searching, trying to find a place to rent. I was like, wait a minute, there's there's like horse country around. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, cool. So we started searching. And At we, this point, you're a cowboy. Yeah, still breaking horses, and just literally, that's all we did, is we were working cattle, or breaking horses, or throwing rope, drinking way too much while building barns, or, you know, things like that, I mean, that was normal, and I seen horse country, I was like, well, maybe I can get the horses and bring them out with us, because in my mind, again, it's horse country, you get on your horse, you leave the yard, you go ride, got here, Worked out a deal with a, a landowner, rented out the 20 acres from her. She had a nice barn and everything on it. We took care of some horses for her, but I quickly realized there's no one to wear, nowhere to ride a horse, let alone work cattle. Like, y- y- they don't team rope here. I wasn't bringing... What the fuck's a rope? I, I wasn't bringing a $15,000 rope horse out here to sit in a barn. The only rope so, they use here is for boats. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we didn't bring the horses, but... That's how we ended up in Front Royal and out here in the Blue Ridge. Is, is that's was the first place I could find in the country that worked out, and that is kind of what spun me off to realize there's Northern Virginia and Virginia, mm-hmm. and then going up to the farm in Pennsylvania, I realized okay, Pennsylvania, and then you have cities in Pennsylvania. Same with New York. You know, it's it's what's portrayed of any state, just like Arizona. Mm-hmm. People think Arizona, they think Phoenix and desert. That's all I think about it. Yeah. yeah. Kim gave me a hard time about it. She had to send me pictures of the mountains. Arizona oh, yeah. has more mountain peaks than any other state in the country. I didn't even think they had fucking trees, bro. Yeah. yeah. The, <laughs> the the biggest ponderosa pine forest in the U.S. or in the world, for that matter. Jeez. But they don't have... The only time you hear about that is when it's on fire. It's true. You know, my situation is a little bit different because I, you know, being a Midwest guy growing up and going out west... The things that I had to learn were in some ways opposite of Stephen. Right. As I realized that a lot of the gimmicks that I was used to were unnecessary. You know, there were a lot of... The scent control. Yeah, all that stuff, you know, and... um, Dopey doesn't work for elk hunting, you mean? (laughs) No, the the number one scent control for elk hunting growing up was the little dirt-scented wafer. Yeah, for that, that the was same it. one. Well, what the, good does that really do? You? It doesn't. It does nothing for you. But it's just peace of mind. Anybody yeah. that had that used any form of scent control in my life that yeah. ever did anything is they bought the dirt the, scent this wafers. Exact same one that the whitetail guys yeah. were using in the Midwest. And, and you pin it on the back of your pants yeah. as you're walking, and that was your scent control. The here's the thing that that struck me when I first to when I got out there, I uh, drew a cow tag. My first year out there. Oh, that was a fun hunt, too. That was a great hunt. You were in on this one? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was in on it. Um, Cold as shit. Oh, that was... Oh. <laughs> but uh, I was learning from Steven and from another... 
Way to go, Trev. Sorry. Playing with his damn phone. Of course. Sorry, buddy. So I'm learning about what this is going to be like because it's a wildly new experience for me from Steven and a couple other friends. And archery at that. And archery. Archery at that, yeah. And I had a guy tell me, you need to be practicing at 50 yards minimum. Why, you never shot 50 in the Midwest? At that point, that wasn't <laughs> – people didn't do that. Oh, I'm under this, like, huge, like, thought that everybody shoots over 50 in the Midwest. You don't shoot whitetails over no, 50? No, the Midwest learned that when Western hunting got popular. Okay. Like, that's an internet thing. You know, it's commonplace now for yeah, if you whitetail shoot guys yards, to go out and at shoot. Yeah. At that time, 40 yards was the farthest I'd ever shot, and that was a long way. Like, I remember sending (laughs) pictures to friends and family back in the Midwest Mm -hmm. of, like, you know, target groups at 50 yards that were, like, the size of a paper plate. And And they were dumbfounded. People being dumbfounded, like, 50 yards? You can't. In fact, I won some money off a guy when I came back because I shot at 50 yards. And he was like, you can't hit that at 50 yards. And now we shoot at 100, 120 like it's Mm -hmm. nothing. But that is something that's... Western bow hunters and Eastern bow hunters have learned a lot from each other. Oh yeah, Western bow that, hunters that have learned that you have to shoot all the conversation time. there. Well, what what helps you? What helps me? Yeah, because the guys out west didn't shoot very often, right? And the guys out from the east, like like outfitters, used to complain about Western people when they guide them because they couldn't shoot, and they loved having these Eastern guys come because these guys shot all the time. Mm-hmm. They could shoot. They were used to killing stuff all the time. But the Western hunters could shoot at long distance, and the Midwest guys never did. Like, I grew up, like, 30 yards was normal. If you hit 40, like, that was... Well, going back to that shot you were talking about earlier, me standing on the roof, shooting through the tree over the creek into the target. I had never seen anything like that That was an 80-yard shot from an elevation. I had to get on the house to get the elevation. It, It was... Basically, like you see people shoot out of a tree stand to practice, it's the same thing. Right. We would get on elevation to practice shooting downhill. Because there is no such thing as a flat shot when you're hunting out there. You're shooting no. high angle up or down, just like you are in a tree. But to us, I was foreign. I'd never seen a tree stand in my life. But we had trained the same way. So that was kind of his first thing. I think that was the first time you ever attempted an 80-yard shot. Yeah. Well, no, I remember, I, I think I, I had to put a new sight on the bow to be able to take that. Oh, that's right. Shot. Yeah. Yeah. We had to switch your sights out. We had to do a bunch of work before I could even if, attempt something like that. So it was, and I, I guess to bring it back a little bit, my point being that I became a better whitetail hunter after those experiences mm-hmm. because I got rid of the stuff I didn't need and I kept some of the stuff that I did need, specifically wind and thermals like nobody talked about thermals in the midwest <laughs> 10 years ago 15 years ago like, oh yeah i didn't hear the word thermals well, until the, i was out west on the south facing slump <laughs> the south facing you do you even have thermals sand in the midwest <laughs> yes and you can you i actually use them on my farm because i've got one of the rare hills in my area on my farm <laughs> hey hill <laughs> but it's a you mean a speed bump yes it's a speed bump he, make, he makes fun of our hills feet but different in elevation yeah 
I, but, I just I don't know. For me, like thermals is a huge thing. Like if right because but you're I from mean, an area where that's a commonplace thing. It's a huge thing, and and not even that, but like the wind, and then the wind makes a tunnel that holds the thermals in one area. I was raised in a white hunt, hunting or or white tail culture. <laughs> <laughs> that could have gone down really bad. White, I saw that one coming. It's 2021. We can't talk right. about that. I was raised in a white tail culture that <laughs> largely depended on that little plastic disc right. for their scent protection. Mm-hmm. I had no idea. I honestly had no idea. At 22 years of age or 23 years of age when I moved out there, it was... It was literally and physically a whole new world and those things allowed me to come back and change the way that i did things and that all happened about the time that the internet became a thing and right you can kind of combine all these different resources and well it's the same for like me like if i was put on the internet that i shot a buck and it was over 40 yards i would get shunned on yeah shunned on yeah still to this day we're talking now. Like, if I say that I shot a deer at 53 yards back home, they would shun me. Like, bad, bad. Yeah. Like, you, you don't do that. You're an archery hunter. You don't shoot over 25 yards. Right. You don't do that. Don't do that. And during my mule deer hunt, I took a shot that I'd probably still get shunned for, but certainly in, I'd get shunned for in Thank the you. Midwest. Like, I, I really don't tell a lot of people when I talk to them about the story. About the shot I missed, not because I'm, you know, hiding the fact that I missed a shot. It's the fact that I don't generally don't really want to have to have that whole argument about, no, you can take a shot at this distance and be incredibly lethal if you know what you're doing. I I had a guy tell me two years ago that I had no business practicing at 100 yards. That's... So for, that just tells me he's now, an inconsistent shooter. This is a another conversation, but this is this is a guy that hunts. He's I wouldn't call him a hunter. I wouldn't call him a, a you know bow hunter. He's just a guy that does it occasionally. But he's into the sport. That's a that's a common theme that you're going to hear from your everyday average guy, especially the generation that's not on Instagram. I mean mm-hmm. to to be blunt about it so um but when you're shooting long distances like that are you using a different weight does that play a big factor in some of that like in the western midwestern like, like on your your draw and things like that like your arrow weight do you think that that makes it more effective <laughs> in a long this range? is a deep dark rabbit hole <laughs> yeah this is a rabbit hole i don't my setup's the same um if I had two bow money where I could run two bows, I'd set them up a little bit different. So why don't you run a, like a Tetra that has two wheels? Run a what? A single pin, like a an single HHA. pin that has two different wheels, so you can run a heavy and a light. That's a possibility. I've, I can also, I can actually. Uh, in fact, I may actually do this. It's something I'm looking into. I may. Yeah, I I run a spot hog, yep. and I may, I'm thinking about buying a second spot hog so I can run different arrow setups mm-hmm. and just pull the one off and pop the other one on. That's one of the good things about the HHA 
is that it has a wheel, yeah. and you can have a heavy setup and a light setup or a target and you setup. Never and have to remove setup, the sight, you and you just literally just wheel. put the new wheel back on, and then yeah. you change your arrow. Now you're. I mean, that was my interpretation of it. Whether it right. works like that, I don't know, but I would imagine, right? That, I mean, that's the theory behind. That would it. be the theory. Okay. My biggest different, like my my entire gear setup is more generally Western focus, and then I use it for whitetail stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, largely because that's a that's my big hunt for the year. Um, whereas whitetail is, you know, just a commonplace thing. And I my Western setups are more than enough for my whitetail, right? So um, I run a heavy arrow. I run a fixed blade kind of contact broadhead, uh, you know. But it's set up to be accurate at 100 yards. And I practice beyond that when I have the opportunity to. And so... I'll just lay this out there and people want to throw fit. That's fine. When I was on my mule deer hunt, I took a shot at 108 yards and there's a two reasons why I took the shot. One, my broadhead groups at the time were inside of a paper plate at that distance, a eight inch paper plate. So I know I can hit what I'm shooting at. The other part is the way the shot laid out was it was going to be flat there was a creek between us, but the shot itself was, we were on the same level. So I'm taking a flat shot. And the other thing was the the deer, his guts and his rump were completely covered by a tree. So I was either going to smoke the tree or smoke the deer. And so I took the shot. And So then at that point, you're not making a I'm a not making shot. nearly as or have a questionable shot. Right. right. And I missed by about an inch took a chunk out of the tree arrow went right under the deer's belly and we're you know we're off to the next day no big deal completely clean shot yeah but that was you're talking you know what a two mile an hour wind could make that difference yep you know in that arrow flight at that distance you know know, one mile an hour wind at that range is three inches yeah So. so i mean very comfortable with that particular shot now if that a deer had been uphill in fact, I had an opportunity at like 80 on a deer that was at an angle that I wasn't comfortable with. You don't take that shot. Well, like Clay but, Thurman takes shots like that. Uh-huh. Or, I mean, maybe not to that extreme of 100 yeah, yards, he, but, I mean, that's that's well, a, that's a look feasible at him. shot. He trains at 100 yards. All the time. I mean, if you expect a 50-yard to be a normal shot, you should be shooting 100 yeah. yards to tighten your group at 50. And, and I mean... They, when we were at the WCB shoot yeah. two years ago, we were shooting that. Like, that is a normal shot yeah, we were to be grouping at 100 yeah. yards. And people back home look at me fucking crazy yeah. because I'm shooting 100 yards, 120 yards on the norm. Yeah. I, I've got a 100-yard lane right here in the backyard. Yeah. And we shoot it for fun. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's commonplace. That's but a common shot. But we're weird shot. because yeah. we do that with a bow and arrow. Well, and here's the other thing that I get flack for from the people that I run into is I shoot an 80-pound bow. So I've got a... They're taking pictures. I got a 570-grain <laughs> arrow coming out of a 82-pound bow at 290 feet per second. So do I need an 80-pound bow for whitetail? Absolutely not. Do I Why need not? that heavy of an arrow? Why not? Absolutely not. Do I need? But here's the thing. 
I'm capable of doing it. You know, I can sit flat on my butt or lay on my back, pull that bow back and sit up and fire it. You know, there's, I haven't found a situation where I can't get that bow back Mm -hmm. and make a decent shot. So my thought process is that extra momentum and kinetic energy in that area, in that arrow is not going to hurt me. And it's going to give me a bigger advantage if I have a shot that's a little bit off. Mm. And like I said, do I need it? Does anyone need it to kill a whitetail? Absolutely not. Do you need it to kill an elk? No, you don't have to have a nearly 600 grain arrow and 80 pounds of draw weight to kill an elk. You don't. But that's bone crushing. But I can blow through anything. Mm -hmm. I'll put it this way. I have seen many and many an arrow bounce off of an elk shoulders with yeah. less than half an inch penetration but that's not going to happen with 80 pounds of draw and a yep. s- near a 575 grain arrow with a cut on car cut on contact fixed blade it's not going to happen you're going to go through it mm-hmm. and I, I know that this is an argument that people go back and forth on over time but you just make a good shot and you'll be fine but that doesn't always happen and let's be honest, I don't live out west where I can shoot up and down hills all the time. Mm-hmm. I don't get to practice those kinds of sh- I don't have a roof I can stand on. I was going to say stand on your roof. All the time. <laughs> I you know, I can't shoot at my house because of the city limit rules. So I have to like I'm setting myself up to be as successful as I can if something were to go wrong because the last thing I want to do it's hurt that animal. So if I can pull 80 pounds, I'm going to pull 80 pounds because it, it's given me just a little bit more opportunity to put that animal down a little bit quicker if something's not absolutely perfect. We talk about this all the time. Yeah. Like, you know, like it's not about it's it's not about what if, it's about when, right? So like yeah. when, when something does go wrong, I want to be able to control that wrong. Okay? As much as you can. Exactly. I mean, like the Ohio hunt the this Ohio year. Ohio deer. I mean, a lot of the hunts that, I, f- fuck, the deer that shot last year, mm-hmm. things went wrong, quartering too, you know, and you make those shots and you make them lethal shots. And mm-hmm. if they go wrong, now you're not chasing a wounded animal in the woods. You yeah. have you have that point where you're above and beyond when things go wrong. You yeah. want to be able to, if you fail at 70 yards when you're taking a shot at a mule deer and something goes wrong, they jump forward, bounce back, jump string you, you're still going to be able to break the bone or make a lethal shot where you yeah. need to be made. Because why would you spend all of your time, effort, and money in something for when it goes wrong, you want to have the right gear to be able to make an ethical, proper yeah. shot, no matter what it is. I mean, yeah. that's why we use the broadheads that we use. That's why we use the weight that we use. That's why we use the bows that we use. That's why we practice every day. I mean, those things, we do yeah. those things so that when things go wrong, we make the ethical shot that we're supposed to be making. Yeah, and that that period of time, right, that you get to go on a trip like that is so valuable. To come home crushed because you injured something, because you didn't go the extra mile, to prepare your equipment. Um, I don't know that's something I could handle. Like mm-hmm. that would be a hard thing to deal with. I don't, I it would, it would put a distaste in my mouth mm-hmm. for it for a long period of time. And so because it's a rare opportunity, you know, you 
get to do it once a year. And that's that's a hard hunt, man. That's an over-the-counter tag. Like, if you're only drawing tags, you're talking uh, three years minimum for a decent tag mm-hmm. in a place like that. So if I'm going to plan for something like that for a year or two years or three years, it doesn't make sense to cut myself short in the areas that I can control. Because I know the moment I step out of the truck and start climbing up that mountain, there's I can't control anything else. Right. I so agree. if you can do it beforehand. And here's the thing. When guys talk about going out west and they put all this time and effort into getting ready, I think sometimes we miss the boat, especially as, as Easterner guys or Midwest guys that don't spend time doing something like that, is we put a lot of time and effort into like the gear that's not as important, right? We, like Sitka. Like my Sitka, yes. <laughs> Here we go. But we get really excited about things that are less important. What did I tell you the other day when we were talking about your Idaho? Right. You need three things. If you're going to spend money at all, you need three things. You need boots, a good or good boots, a good pack, and good binoculars, good glass. Right. After that, everything else is window dressing. So once you get those three things taken care of, then when it comes to getting my rig set up for a hunt like that, I'm not going to cut any quarters. I work mm-hmm. too hard while I'm at home to potentially sacrifice that special occasion. And so, you know, if you got to go to the gym to be able to pull 70 because you can only pull 65, like, it might be worth it. Absolutely. Even if it's just for your own, like, peace of mind. Like, man, I got a great setup. I really wanted that extra five pounds. Like, man, 20 minutes a day at the gym and you can get that extra five pounds. In three months, no well, big deal. Well, not not a problem, even getting the but, five pounds out of it, but maybe the cardio to be able to go over that that next hill. Oh, certainly. You know, like th- those things because you put so much time, effort, and money into it. Yeah. Why wouldn't you want to go above and beyond? And it's the same in the whitetail woods. Yeah. Same in the turkey woods. It's same in everything. Like, you know, there's a lot of. I mean, like we've given up a lot of things. Been on diets. I mean, even in the whitetail woods, and you know, here, you know what I'm yeah. saying. I mean, honestly. Come, Steven's shaking his head. He, he's he's, he's coming. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. Yeah, Kim's about to lay down the hammer. Yeah, it's over. It's coming. <laughs> Just saying, though. But those things are, are the things that we do because we put so much time, effort, and money into it that why wouldn't we want to be able to... Yeah, and here's the deal. Yeah, I know you're going to give me crap about my Sitka, and that's fine. But listen... <laughs> I just do it because it's funny. I agree with it. Go get yourself a pair of cheap brown... If you're going to go out west, go get yourself a pair of cheap brown pants for 60 bucks, and go spend the other 180 bucks that you were going to spend on those sick pants for a gym membership. Right. And you don't have to be crazy about it, you know? Mm-hmm. Get in there and, and, and get on the treadmill for 20 minutes. Or go get in the squat rack for 20 minutes. You're going to be better off. That's going to be a better experience for you long run. And I think we get, and I, and I, I totally understand it because I was that guy mm-hmm. until I did it. And I was like, okay, we have to fix some things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but if you take care of yourself and the things you can control, because at the end of the day, especially if it's your first time, the pants that you buy aren't going to make the difference in your hunt. No. They're just not. 
if you're physically ready for it, that's going to make a difference. If your gear is phys- is built for the situation you're going into, that's going to make the difference. And let me tell you the last thing you want to do is hike up a 13,000 foot mountain and put an arrow <laughs> in that bounces off the side of a mule deer shoulder because you're shooting 330 feet per second and you got a 380 grain arrow. You All of the time, money, and energy that you put into getting ready for that and you lost it because of a bad decision when you set up your equipment. I, I was having this conversation actually the other day after leaving the gym with uh, Mark from Nor'easter. And we were talking and stuff and he's like, what are you doing in the gym? I said, well, in plans of going to Idaho... But not even that, but some of the, the whitetail woods of yeah. some of the hunting that we've done in public land and the things obviously to come in the future of, you know, the, the moves that we're probably going to make and the things that we're going to do, right? So it's beneficial even at home when you're doing those things. It's not about, you know, when – and at one point I was almost 300 pounds, man. Yeah. And, you know, you try you try to go into a place and you look at a map and you're like, there's a hill there. I'm not going over the hill. I'm going to be lazy and I'm going to try and go around the hill. But if that wind's not right – you're just going to say fuck it and you're going to try and go around the hill instead of going over the hill like you should with the wind because you're lazy because you're not yeah. in shape to be able to go go over the hill yeah. with now being more in shape and being able to do those things and working towards those things like in Ohio, in the woods scouting, putting the miles on the ground, doing the th- same things in Connecticut, hiking those mountains, going in the proper ways or parking further away to be able to get the wind the right way to be able to enter yeah. somewhere. Those things are beneficial even not even going out west, man even doing them back home when you're at home hunting because not everybody gets to hunt every single day. They they only get to hunt on the weekends. So yeah. why would you fucking blow that away and put the extra time in at 30 extra minutes in the yeah, gym yeah. to be able to get the wind right to be able to go over the hill? You know yeah. what I'm saying? I and mean, it's just- and here's, the, here's the funny thing. We're talking about, you know, these hills on the East Coast. We're talking about stuff, mountains on the West Coast, and people think, like, I, there's some level of shape that I probably need to be. I've got a 700-acre piece of public that's 20 minutes from my house that I pretty much have to myself because it is largely CRP. Mm-hmm. And the places where when you look at on a map, you're like, this is the place I need to be. These are you know, the places that you have to get to to get some good hunting in. Because of the predominant winds, you've got to take a, a roundabout loop through that stuff. And that that waist tall CRP will kick your tail every bit as much as walking up the side of that mountain. Mm-hmm. It'll kick your butt because it's stuff's grabbing on you and pulling on you. It's you got to be ready and prepared. It's should very we, important. Should we talk about turkey hunting since we well, are here at turkey hunting? Well, <laughs> I, I think we'll save the turkey talk. We'll do the for turkey the next, next, for the next after episode. the turkey talk. Yeah. yeah. Um, Here's a, I mean, we obviously went over the first the first hunt. Yeah, yeah, we we covered a little bit, but I, I think tomorrow you're you're going to get your first yeah real this excursion into the turkey real, woods. Real attempt at from chasing gobblers from before pre dawn, the march in in the dark, yeah. the roosting, the the anticipation of hearing them on the roost and hammering the fly down, and the chaos that ensues following. Yeah. So I want to kind of get for a minute here your interpretation of what you feel as you're getting yourself into right so like you went from being a midwestern hunter to a western hunter and there was that 
anticipation of what you're getting yourself into, right? right. So now going into the turkey woods, not being a turkey hunter, yeah. what kind of things are like in your mind? Like, all right, what am I getting myself into, right? Because you've done it on the level where you're kind of like deer hunting for turkeys, but you never really. And today you got yeah. to. I've spot and stock turkeys, right. but I've never done this. But you've got the interpretation of kind of like what we do just a little bit this right. morning, but you haven't been the full picture, sun up to noon, a right. full day hunt of turkey hunting. So what kind of things are you like envisioning what is going to happen? Um, or what are your expectations? <laughs> it, that's a challenging thing because I'm... I'm a podcast consumer on an obnoxious level because I can do it at work and I have long shifts. Mm -hmm. And I'm interested in wildlife in general. And so I've learned a lot about turkeys. This is the Audubon Society. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just saying. I'm just kidding. Sorry. I've heard a lot of things, right? Because everybody's talking. Everybody's got a podcast now. Everybody's talking about their stories and there's a an idyllic turkey hunting moment where that turkey comes out of the fog <laughs> and comes over the ridge and beats the hell out of the decoy, right? Like in a perfect world, I I would love to have that experience. But I'm also have had enough Yeah, I know Kim's over Kim's here. Kim's over here going, yeah, just like, had yeah, that. Been there, done that next chapter but there's i'm realistic to n- enough to know that like we could find ourselves in a situation where we turn around and like there's the bird shoot or like weird things can happen right so what i'm most looking forward to is just experience something new you know i'm i'm not trying to get up too wrapped up in the like this is eastern elk hunting thing because i don't want to be like too like colored by that idea Mm -hmm. you know i just kind of want to attack this as as if i knew nothing about turkeys Mm -hmm. whatsoever because it'll be more fun that way and it'll be uh i think i'll learn more than if i act like i know what i'm doing even even though i have little no experience yeah so and that's one of the i i want to say one of the pinnacle points of turkey hunting you will never experience the same hunt twice. Every yeah. hunt will be completely different. Yeah. And that's what's partly fascinating about about it to me. You know, because you're not going and getting in a tree that you've been in before or... The deer approaches know. this way and I shoot him in this draw, yeah. usually at about 7.30 in the morning or right. at 5.30 in the afternoon. And, and the thing is, me and Steven hunt alike, right? Like when it comes to turkey hunting, because there's obviously, there's a million and one ways of doing it. There really is. I mean, you can hunt them like deer. You can go in and you can blind call, which all these things work well. Myself, I'm a very hardcore caller, very in-your-face, very run-and-gun. That's, like, my style. Like, get on those birds. If the bird's not working for you, find another bird. Boom, gone. And Steven's very like-minded in that. that. So we hunt like that. So when that does happen, you're not going to get wake with us a turkey is not going to come behind you a turkey is not because if that bird is not working that bird is not gobbling he's not going to show up and you're not going to kill him in the style that we had hunted this morning that bird could have came from anywhere 
because we were sitting no. down, we were decoying, didn't have any gobbles, and we just hunted. And we do do that yeah, if we can't they, get a bird to work. If there's properly. nothing happening, like with Kim's bird, yeah. you know, they quit talking, nothing was gobbling, it was foggy, nasty weather, went to a spot where I know birds tend to go, and we sat down to blind call, and it just happened to all work out. They didn't come behind us, of course, but, you know, we just happened to be in the right place at the right time yeah. and got the birds to work. Do you find that a lot of the times if you're calling in one direction that those birds wrap around and always come from the front of you anyways? Yeah. That's uh, a normal Especially thing. if you're decoying. I don't know why. They they have a tendency because I, mean, I can call from the base of this tree and walk off and a bird two hours later may walk to the base of that tree because he heard no. me. The, the first time that you call and it, one of the things my mentor always talked to me or, or taught me, he's a very light caller, very, mm-hmm. very modest, set back, reserved turkey hunter. When you call the first time, that turkey knows exactly what tree, what leaf you're sitting on, and what branch you're next to. He knows every. I mean, yeah. When you call, they know. Like that's a thing, you know. So when you start calling crazy, it's like it's nuts to them. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? But they're definitely going to come, no matter what. They're going to come there, and a lot of times we do a lot of setback calling, which. I'll go 60, 80 yards ahead, and then I'll come back, and I'll back call, and then by the time that I go to go back up to where I went to, those birds are going to meet you halfway, and you're going to kill them. Mm. It's crazy. It's just they know that line of track that you're going to. don't really even know why my conversation went that way, but. <laughs> well, I think we ought to go ahead and uh, wrap this one up. Just a good little bullshit session. We'll call it Turkey Camp Part 1, and uh, hopefully we'll have some more with some recaps and some, some good stories. stories either way there will be stories that i'll promise for sure and uh we'll follow up with that here soon so you guys stay tuned there's more coming and uh, this is turkey camp 2021 thanks for taking the ride right here on the outdoor drive <laughs>